Chapter Twenty of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which Mr. Van Slyperken proves false to the widow Vandersloosh, and many strange things take place. Mr. Van Slyperken was awakened the next morning by the yelping of his dog, who, having been shut out of the cabin, had ventured up the ladder in the morning when the men were washing the deck, and had a bucket shied at him by Jimmy Ducks, with such excellent precision that it knocked him over and nearly broke his hind leg, which he now carried high up in the air, as he howled upon the other three at the cabin door. Mr. Van Slyperken rose and tried to recollect what had passed, but it was more than a minute before he could recall the circumstances of the day before. He then tried to call to mind how he had gone to bed, and by what means Snarleyow was left outside, but he could make nothing of it. He opened the cabin door and let in the dog, whose lame leg instantly excited his indignation, and he then rang his bell for Smallbones, who soon made his appearance. How came the dog out of the cabin, sir? I'm sure I don't know, sir. I never put him out. Who is it that has hurt him? I'm sure I don't know, sir. I never touched him. Van Slyperken was about to vent his anger when Smallbones said, If you please, I don't know what's going on. Why, here, sir, the men washing the decks have found your carving knife abaft by the taff rail. Somebody must have taken it there, that's certain. Van Slyperken turned pale. Who can have taken it? That's what I said, sir. Who dare come in the cabin to take the knife? And what could they have taken it for, but unless it was to cut some at? And Smallbones looked his master full in the face, and the lieutenant quailed before his boy. He could not meet his gaze, but turned away. "'Very odd,' continued Smallbones, perceiving the advantage he had gained. "'Leave the cabin, sir,' cried Vanslyperken. "'Shan't they make no inquiries how this ear knife came here, sir?' replied Smallbones. "'No, sir, mind your own business. I've a great mind to flog you for its being found there, all your carelessness.' "'That would be a pretty go.' murmured Smallbones, as he shut the cabin door. The feeling of vengeance against Smallbones was now redoubled in the breast of his master, and the only regret he felt at the transactions of the day before was that the boy had not been drowned. "'I'll have him yet,' muttered the lieutenant. But he forgot that he was shaving himself, and the involuntary movements of his lips caused him to cut a large gash on his right cheek from which the blood trickled fast. Curses on the razor, he was going to say, but he changed it to scoundrel. A slice with a razor is certainly a very annoying thing. After a certain time, Mr. Van Slyperken finished his toilet, called for his breakfast, went on deck, and, as the day was fine, ordered the paint to be renewed and then went on shore to ascertain if there were any commands for him at the admiral's office. As he walked up the street in a brown study, 
he at last observed that a very pretty woman dogged him, sometimes walking ahead and looking back, at others dropping astern, and then again ranging up alongside. He looked her in the face, and she smiled sweetly, and then turned her head coquettishly, and then looked again with eyes full of meaning. Now, although Mr. Vanslyperken had always avoided amours on account of the expense entailed upon them, yet he was, like a dry chip, very inflammable, and the extreme beauty of the party made him feel unusual emotions. Her perseverance, too, and her whole appearance so very respectable, so superior to the class of people who generally accosted him, he thought of the widow and her money-bags, and thought also how infinitely more desirable the widow would be if she possessed but the beauty of the present party. "'I do believe I've lost my way,' exclaimed the young person. "'Pray, sir, can you tell me the way to Castle Street? For I am almost a stranger.' "'And,' added she, laughing, "'I really don't know my way back to my own house.' Castle Street was, at that time, one of the best streets in Portsmouth, as Mr. Van Slyperken knew well. This assured him of her respectability. He very gallantly offered his arm, which, after a little demur, was accepted, and Mr. Van Slyperken conveyed her to her house. Of course she could do no less than ask him to walk up, and Mr. Van Slyperken, who had never been in anything approaching to good society, was in astonishment at the furniture. All appeared to denote wealth. He was soon in an interesting conversation, and by degrees found out that the lady was a young widow of the name of Malcolm, whose husband had been factor to the new company called the East India Company, and that she had come down to Portsmouth expecting him home, and that she had learnt that he had died on shore a few days before his intended embarkation to England. Since which, as she liked the place and the society, she had thoughts of remaining here. They say that gold in India is to be had for nothing. It must be very plentiful, replied the widow, if I am to judge by the quantity my poor husband sent me home. And he was not out more than three years. He left me a week after our marriage. Here the lovely widow put her handkerchief up to her eyes, and Mr. Van Slyperken attempted to console her. It's so very unpleasant to be left without anyone to advise you, and exposed to be cheated so dreadfully. What can a poor lone woman do? Did you ever see me before, sir? I never did, replied our lieutenant. May I ask the same question? For I thought you appeared to know me. Oh, yes, I've seen you very often, and wished to know who you were, but I was ashamed to ask. One cannot be too particular in my situation. Mr. Van Slyperken was much pleased, but he had remained some time, and he thought it right to depart, so he rose and made his adieus. I hope I shall see you again cried the widow earnestly. You will call again, sir, won't you? Most certainly, and with the greatest pleasure, replied Vanslyperken. The lady extended her gloved hand, 
and as it was closed in that of Vanslyperken, he thought he felt a slight, a very slight pressure, which made his heart leap. And then, as he shut the door, she gave him such a look. Oh, those eyes! They pierced right through the heart of Vanslyperken. The reader may not, perhaps, be aware who this gay widow might be. It was Nancy Corbett, who had, by the advice of Lady Alice, taken this step to entrap Mr. Vanslyperken. Nancy had obtained from Moggy all the particulars of the lieutenant's wooing of the widow Vandersloosh, and his character as a miser and a coward. Had he been a miser only, she would have attacked by gold alone. But being a coward, it was decided that he should have some further stimulus to betray his country, and enlist himself among the partisans of King James. Beauty, joined with wealth, the chance of possessing both, with the attractive arts of Nancy, were considered necessary to sway him. Indeed, they were so far right, that had anyone made the bold proposal to Van Slyperken of joining the other party, and offered him at the same time ample remuneration, he would have been too suspicious or too timorous to run the risk. It was necessary to win him over by means which appeared accidental rather than otherwise. The difficulty of correspondence was very great, and as the cutter constantly was dispatched to the Hague, and the French had agents there, not only letters, but even messengers might be sent over without risk and without suspicion. For open boats, being then the only means of communication during the wintry part of the year, the correspondence was very precarious, and at long intervals. Thus was Nancy Corbett changed into a buxom widow, all for the good cause, and well did she perform her part, for there was no lack of money when such services were required. Then Slyperkin left the house quite enchanted. This will do, thought he, and if I succeed, Frau Vandersloosh may go to the devil. He returned on board, unlocked his cabin, where Snarleyow had been secured from the machinations of Smallbones and other malcontents, and sat down to enjoy the castle-building which he had commenced after he left the house. He patted his dog and apostrophized it. "'Yes, my poor brute,' said Vanslyperken, "'your master will get a rich widow, without it being necessary that you should be laid dead at her porch.' Damn, Frau Vandersloosh. The widow was more enchanting when Van Slyperken called on the ensuing day than she was on the first. Her advances to the lieutenant were no longer doubtful to him. She entered freely into the state of her affairs, asked his advice upon money matters, and fully proved to his satisfaction that, independent of her beauty, she would be a much greater catch than Frau Vandersloosh. She spoke about her family, said that she expected her brother over, but that he must come incognito, as he was attached to the court of the exiled king, lamented the difficulty of receiving letters from him, and openly expressed her adherence to the Stuart family. Vanslyperken appeared to make very little objection to her political creed. In fact, he was so fascinated that he fell blindly into the snare. 
he accepted an invitation to dine with her on that very day, and went on board to dress himself as fine for her as he had for the widow Vandersloosh. The lovely widow admired his uniform, and gave him many gentle hints upon which he might speak. But this did not take place until a tete-a-tete after dinner, when he was sitting on a sofa with her, not on such a fubsy sofa as that of Frau Vandersloosh, but one worked in tapestry, much in the same position as we once introduced him into the reader, to wit, with the lady's hand in his. Van Slyperken was flushed with wine, for Nancy had pushed the bottle, and at last he spoke out clearly what his aspirations were. The widow blushed, laughed, wiped her eyes as if to brush away a falling tear, and eventually, with a slight pressure of the hand, stammered that she did not know what to say. The acquaintance was so short. It was so unexpected. She must reflect a little. At the same time, she could not but acknowledge that she had been taken with him when she first saw him, and then she laughed and said that she really did begin to believe that there was such a thing as love at first sight. And then, he had better go now. She wished to be alone. She had a headache. Oh, Nancy Corbett, you were indeed an adept in the art of seduction. No wonder that your name has been handed down to posterity. Mr. Vanslyperken perceived his advantage and pressed still more until the blushing widow declared that she would really think seriously about the matter, if on further acquaintance she found that her good opinion of him was not overrated. Vanslyperken returned on board, intoxicated with his success. On his arrival he was informed that a messenger had been sent for him, but no one knew where to find him, and that he must be at the Admiral's early the next morning and have all ready for immediate sailing. This was rather annoying, but there was no help for it. The next day Van Slyperken went to the Admiral's, and received orders to sail immediately to the Hague, with dispatches of consequence, being no less than an answer from King William to the States General. Mr. Van Slyperken proceeded from the Admiral's to the charming widow, to whom he imparted this unwelcome intelligence. She, of course, was grave, and listened to his protestations with her little finger in her mouth and a pensive downcast eye. "'How long will you be away?' inquired she. "'But a week or ten days at the farthest. I shall fly back to see you again.' "'But tell me the truth. Have you no acquaintances there? Now tell the truth.' I don't mean men. Upon my honor, fair widow, I don't know a single woman there, replied Vanslyperken, pleased with this little appearance of jealousy. But I'm afraid that I must leave you for the admiral as very severe. Will you do me one favor, Mr. Vanslyperken? Anything. Ask what you will. I want this letter forwarded to my brother. I am very anxious about it. The French agent there will send it on. It is enclosed to him. Will you do me that favor, my dear sir? I'm sure you will, if... If what? If you love me, replied the widow, 
laying her hand upon Vanslyperken. "'I will most certainly,' said Vanslyperken, taking the letter and putting it in his pocket. "'Then I shall ask you another,' said the widow. "'You will think me very foolish, but there may be an opportunity. Will you write to me just a few lines, only to tell me that you have given the letter, that's all, and to say how you are?' Don't you think me very foolish? I will write, dearest, since you wish it. And now good-bye. Vanslyperken took the widow round the waist, and after a little murmuring and reluctance was permitted to snatch a kiss. Her eyes followed him mournfully till he shut the door and disappeared, and then Nancy Corbett gave way to unbounded mirth. So the fool has bit already, thought she, now if he only writes to me, and I get his acknowledgment of having delivered the letter, the beast is in my power, and I can hang him any day I please. Upon his honor, he did not know a single woman there. Lord have mercy, what liars men are! But we can sometimes beat them with their own weapons. And Nancy's thoughts reverted to her former life, which she now dwelt upon with pain and sorrow. Mr. Vanslyperken returned on board. The anchor was weighed immediately that the boats had been hoisted up, and the Jungfrau ran out with a fair wind, which lasted until the evening, when it fell almost calm, and the cutter made but little way through the water. Many of the men were conversing on the forecastle as usual, and the subject of their discourse was the surmising of what had become of Corporal Van Spitter, in one point they all appeared to agree, which was that they hoped he would never return to the cutter. "'If he does, I owe him one,' observed Jemmy Ducks. "'It's all through him that my wife was turned out of the vessel.' "'And a little bit from her tongue, Jemmy,' observed Cobble. "'Why, perhaps so,' replied Jemmy. "'But what was it set her tongue loose but the threat of him to flog me? And what made him threaten that?' but the peaching of that fat marine. Very good arguments, Jimmy. Well, I will say that for your wife, Jimmy. She does love you, and there's no sham about it. Never mind Jimmy's wife. Let's have Jimmy's song, said Spurry. He hasn't piped since he was pulled up by the corporal. No, he put my pipe out, the hippopotamus. Well, I'll give it you. It shall be about what we are talking of, Obadiah. Jemmy perched himself on the fore end of the booms and sang as follows. I suppose that you think cause my trousers are tarry, and because that I ties my long hair in a tail, while landsmen are figged out as fine as Lord Harry, with breastpins and cravats as white as old sail that i'm a strange creature and know nothing ninny but fit for the planks for to walk in foul weather that i ha'n't e'er a notion of the worth of a guinea and that you pal can twist me about as a feather lord love you i know that this life is but short at the best on't that time it flies fast and that work must be done 
that when danger comes tis as well for to jest on twill be but the lighter felt when it do come if you think then from this that i ain't got a notion of a heaven above with its mercy in store and the devil below for us lads of the ocean just the same as it be for the landsmen on shore lord love you if because i don't splice with some true-hearted woman who dote on my presence and sob when i sail but put up with you pal though faithful to no man with a fist that can strike and a tongue that can rail tis because i'm not selfish and no tis my duty if i marry to moor by my wife and not leave her to dandle the young ones and watch o'er her beauty ye think that i'd promise and vow then deceive her lord love you i suppose that ye think cause i'm free with my money which others would hoard and lock up in their chest all your billing and cooing and words sweet as honey are as gospel to me while you hang on my breast but no polly no you may take every guinea they'd burn in my pocket if i took them to see but as for your love pal i indeed were a ninny do you think i don't know you cheat others than me lord love you well that's a good song jimmy and he can't pull you up for that anyhow mr vanslyperken appeared to think otherwise for he sent a marine forward to say that no singing would be permitted in future and that they were immediately to desist i suppose we shall have a song considered as mutiny soon observed cobble ah well it's a long lane that has no turning yes replied jemmy in an undertone and for every rogue there's a rope laid up never mind let's go below mr vanslyperken's dreaming thoughts of the fair widow were nevertheless occasionally interrupted by others not quite so agreeable strange to say he fully believed what smallbones had asserted about his being carried out by the tide to the nab buoy and he canvassed the question in his mind whether there was not something supernatural in the affair a sort of interposition of providence in behalf of the lad which was to be considered as a warning to himself not to attempt anything further he was frightened although his feeling for revenge was still in all its force as for any one suspecting him of having attempted the boy's life he had recovered from that feeling even if they did who dare say a word there was another point which also engrossed the moody van Slyperken, which was how he should behave relative to the widow vandersloosh should he call or should he not he cared nothing for her and provided he could succeed with the portsmouth lady he would pitch her to the devil but still he remembered the old proverb you should never throw away dirty water before you are sure of clean after some cogitation he determined upon still pressing his suit and hoped at the same time that the widow would not admit him into her presence 
such were the different resolves and decisions which occupied the mind of mr vanslyperken until he dropped his anchor at amsterdam when he ordered his boat to go on shore and gave positive directions to dick short that no one was to leave the cutter on any pretense for he was determined that as the widow would not have his company she should not have the profits arising from his men's spending their money at her house so cried cobble after the boat shoved off liberty stopped as well as singing what's next i wonder i shan't stand this long no replied short stop till he makes friends with the widow observed bill spurry she'll get us all leave mein gott he never say anything before observed jansen no we might almost go and come as we wished we must not stand this we won't replied jemmy ducks no replied short while the crew of the cutter were in this incipient state of mutiny vanslyperken bent his steps to deliver up to the authorities the dispatches with which he was charged and having done so he then took out the letter entrusted to him by nancy corbett and read the address it was the same street in which lived the frau vandersloosh this was awkward as vanslyperken did not want to be seen by her but there was no help for it he trusted to her not seeing him and he proceeded thither he ran down the numbers on the doors until he came to the right one which was exactly opposite to the widow's house this was more unfortunate he rang the bell it was some time before the door was opened and while he was standing there he could not help looking round to see if any one saw him to his annoyance there stood the widow filling up her door with her broad frame and babette peeping over her shoulder mr vanslyperken as there were only the canal and two narrow roads between them could do no less than salute her but she took no notice of him farther than by continuing her stare at last upon a second pulling of the bell the door opened and on mr vanslyperken saying that he had a letter for such an address he was admitted and the door immediately closed he was ushered into a room the window panes of which were painted green so that no one outside could look in and found himself in the presence of a tall man in a clerical dress who motioned him to sit down vanslyperken delivered the letter and then took a seat the gentleman made a graceful bow as if to ask permission to break the seal and then opened the letter sir i am obliged to you for charging yourself with these packets infinitely obliged to you you are in command of a sloop here i believe a king's cutter sir replied vanslyperken with importance i am lieutenant vanslyperken i thank you sir i will take down your name you expect i presume to be rewarded for this small service continued the gentleman with a bland smile why she must have told him thought vanslyperken who replied with another smile that he certainly trusted that he should be upon which reply the other went to an escritoire taking out a bag opened it and poured out a mass of gold 
which made Vanslyperken's mouth water. But why he did so, Vanslyperken did not give a thought. Until having counted out fifty pieces, the gentleman very gracefully put them into his hand, observing, A lieutenant's pay is not great, and we can afford to be generous. Will you oblige me by calling here before you sail for England, and I will beg you to take charge of a letter? Van Slyperken was all amazement. He began to suspect what was the fact, but he had the gold in his hand, and for the life of him he could not have laid it down again on the table. It was too great a sacrifice, for it was his idol, his god. He therefore dropped it into his pocket, and promising to call before he sailed, bowed and took his leave. As he went out, there were the Frau Vandersloosh and Babette still watching him at the door. But Van Slyperken was in a state of agitation, and he hurried off as fast as he could. Had he known why they watched so earnestly, and what had occurred, his agitation would have been greater still. As soon as Mr. Van Slyperken had arrived on board, he hastened down into his cabin, and throwing the money down on the table, feasted his eyes with it, and remained for nearly half an hour in a state of deep cogitation, during which he often asked himself the question whether he had not been a traitor to the king and country in whose pay he was employed. The answer that he gave to himself was anything but satisfactory, but the prospect of possessing the fair Portsmouth widow and the gold displayed upon the table were very satisfactory, and the balance was on the latter side. So Vanslyperken gradually recovered himself, and had risen from his chair to collect the gold and deposit it in a place of safety, when he was interrupted by a tap at the door. Hastily sweeping off the gold pieces, he cried, Come in! When, who to his surprise should appear, in excellent condition and fresh as a peony, but the lost and almost forgotten Corporal Van Spitter, who, raising his hand to his forehead as usual, reported himself man-of-war fashion. Thus come on board, mynheer Van Slyperken. But as the corporal did not tell all the facts connected with his cruise in the jolly boat to Mr. Van Slyperken, for reasons which will hereafter appear, we shall reserve the narrative of what really did take place for another chapter. End of chapter 20 Recording by Arnold Banner Thurmond, North Carolina